You are live with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio today. We got a great program. A little bit of a car theme going on uh, later on in the the show. We're going to be talking with the folks over at Cadillac about their new Cadillac Escalade IQ electric vehicle that is coming out next year. It's got all sorts of crazy cool tech in it. We'll find out uh, all about that. And we'll be talking about the fo- uh, talking to the folks over at Turo. This is a really cool app that lets you uh, rent cars uh, across the country here. And uh, if you want to make a little extra money, you can also rent your car out through uh, through this service, which is kind of kind of cool. In studio with me, I've got my good friend Carmi Levy today. He's a Toronto tech expert. Thanks for joining me, Carmi. Great to be here, Mike. Thanks for so much for having me. Well, let's get into some of the uh, the tech news, as we always do at the beginning of the program. And I think the big story uh, would have to be this week. The um, is Israeli uh, Hamas conflict going on, and uh, no surprise, lots of misinformation on social media already. Yeah, you know, I think we would have expected this. Uh, you know, misinformation really is part of the social media landscape, regardless. But what's been happening since uh, the Hamas attack in Israel is uh, a significant spike in both the frequency and intensity of misinformation. Uh, Media Matters, which is an advocacy group, they've been tracking uh, the, the the rate of misinformation across all social media platforms. And they they found that in particular on formerly known as Twitter, since the attacks last weekend, uh, they uh, they have seen uh, a number uh, of misinform you know, uh, uh, of pieces of misinformation. So misleading videos about the war, out of context videos, old ones claiming to be recent. Um, you know, that, that they've seen a number of content and they've been driving, they've been going viral, millions of views um, because of it. And they're saying that's the reason this is happening is the premium service that has the blue check. You pay eight bucks a month for that blue check. Um, that part of that service, one of the perks is, is you get greater visibility. The algorithm dials up those who have the blue check, dials down those who don't. So basically what's happening is, is individuals and groups that want to spread misinformation are signing up for the service and then using it to spread whatever they want. And of course, Elon Musk fired half of the online digital safety team just before the attacks. There aren't enough people and technology left at the company to actually do something about it. So uh, it was bad beforehand. It's even worse now. There's empirical evidence that it is skyrocketing. And as a result, uh, it's very difficult to go onto this platform and not see misinformation, even uh, uh, video game footage that is masquerading as real footage of what's happening in the region. Uh, and clearly that isn't. And so uh, Elon Musk uh, has been warned by the European Union. The, uh, uh, the heads of the European Union have written letters to Mr. Musk saying uh, either show that you're in compliance with our new laws or you're going to have a problem. Uh, Digital Services Act, which is the new law that went into, into effect just before the attack, uh, it could hold the company liable for upwards of 6% of their global revenue or even ban the company from doing business in Europe if it does not comply. So the EU always means business about legislation like this, and they're heading for a showdown with Mr. Musk over uh, both his willingness and his ability uh, to rein in misinformation, misinformation, which I will add, he was actually a part of sharing over the weekend where he shared uh, doctored video content and then ultimately had to take that down. So uh, it, it was bad before. It's worse now. And uh, certainly buyer beware. If you're using that platform, you got to watch your feeds because uh, it's never been as uh, as intense as it is now. Are we seeing this problem on the other social um, media platforms like Facebook and Instagram? 
We certainly are. Uh, in, in fact, the European Union sent a somewhat less uh, aggressive letter to Mark Zuckerberg warning him that he needs to do more to uh, reduce misinformation as well. So it's not that Elon Musk X is the only company that has this problem, but it does have it at a much higher degree relative to the others. But this is industry wide. TikTok has been put on notice that it too needs to do more to uh, to reduce misinformation and uh, Meta certainly across all of its platforms uh, is also being told comply or you're going to have a problem under this new law. So uh, the entire industry has been put on notice uh, and ultimately this is good for all of us, but they've been wrestling with this problem for years, uh, if not decades, uh, and it's never gone away. In fact, it's only gotten worse and global crisis seems to take a bad situation and it makes it even worse. What can we do about it, though, Carmi? Like, it's really kind of in the hands of the big tech companies, isn't it? It certainly is. I mean, you know, in the ideal world, you and I and all of our listeners would be able to sign into these services and 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 be confident that the tools and the processes and the people were all in place to keep us safe, to ensure that what we saw was legit and to not, you know, uh, the false positive content that we wanted to share, that it was able to tell the difference between legitimate content and mis misinformation or disinformation. Um, but that's not the case. Uh, and the industry has routinely failed to keep up. But what we can do is we can be on an individual basis part of the problem. We have to become better filters of content so that when we see something that is questionable in our feed, rather than just sharing it or engaging with it without, without giving it much additional thought, we check the legitimacy of it. We look into where it comes from. We validate to ourselves that we are confident we know where it comes from and we trust uh, the individual or the group or the account that initially shared this, uh, then we can feel confident sharing it or engaging with it or doing whatever with it. Uh, and if we don't, and if we think that it's misinformation, then we should use the tools that are available to us to flag it to the platform so they can do something about it. But unfortunately, most of us don't take the time to do that due diligence and we are part of that problem. We are engaging with, with accounts and resources that we aren't vetting. Uh, and because of that, we are accelerating a problem that's already bad. I'm going to move on to another news story here, uh, Carmi, and I'm alarmed about this. You know, it's almost expected now that uh, my my private information at some point is going to get out there because I've given it to different corporations and, and you know, government entities, uh, you know, in the course of just using the internet. But now it, it seems that the genetic firm, 23andMe, says that uh, they've had a breach and a bunch of user data was stolen from them. And what concerns me about this, Carmi, this isn't just like my age and sex and where I live. It, it would be like my DNA information because uh, 23andMe is like Ancestry.com. You know, you can get your your mm -hmm. DNA, uh, I guess, sampled and, uh, and find out, you know, where you've come from and who your relatives are. It's, this is as soon as I saw this headline, I felt chills down to the base of my spine because how many of my friends and colleagues and family members have gotten a 23andMe kit for Christmas or a birthday or something, and everyone thought it was so cool. They found long, long lost family members. It's sort of the new thing for people to do. But uh, in order to participate in these services, you need to give up some of the most private information you ever can. Um, and unfortunately, uh, they did suffer a breach. They say their systems were not broken into. What happened was uh, the data was compromised through what's called credential stuffing, which basically means other services were compromised in a breach and the data, usernames, passwords, things like that, were then shared online. And then what the criminals do, what the cyber criminals did, was they grabbed that information 
And then they started the and credential stuffing is when you take usernames and passwords from one breach and you start testing systems, testing other services. So you go to Gmail, you go to Outlook.com, you go to banks, you go to everything else that people might want to sign into, and you use the same usernames and passwords because, hey, we reuse them, right? Because we shouldn't, but we do because it's convenient. And that's what happened was that they have evidence that credential stuffing, that these individuals got the information on the dark web and then used it to sign into 23andMe and then grab that information as well, including all the genetic data. So if if this isn't a warning that, you know, we've got to start taking personal uh, security seriously and stop reusing the same the same authentication across multiple services and changing our passwords regularly, then I don't know what's going to solve this problem. A lot of this, this could have been prevented if individuals have been a little bit more on top of their own personal security. This is important. And again, just to summarize, uh, don't use the same freaking password on on all the different things that you do on the internet. Because like we're saying here, Carmi, uh, if one site gets hacked uh, and they have your password and your username and email, uh, they will then go out to all these other sites to see if it works, essentially. And so then you're kind of screw- you're screwed. Because it's kind of half your fault. Yeah, this is great. I don't want to sound like I'm piling on, but it is your fault, right? If if you do not heed those warnings again and again and again, and I, I, I if I had a dollar for every time I've I've shared this warning, I wouldn't have to work. But uh, you know, so you know, it, we are we're part of the problem because we these security tools uh, and best practices are there for us for the taking, but we refuse to do so. We aren't using secure or smart password protocols. We're using the same easy to guess passwords across multiple systems. We're not using dual factor or multi-factor authentication when we should. We're not turning on encryption when we should. So if if we did all these simple things, just went into the settings on everything and started to actively manage our passwords and the settings, that would make a huge difference in slamming the door shut on cyber criminals when things like this happen. But Again, the vast majority of us become unwitting victims because we're just too lazy to take care of it up front and we pay for it in the long run. I mean, I use the Chrome web browser. I I actually get warnings from my browser saying that, you know, a a bunch of sites that I have, that I routinely, routinely visit uh, have had, you know, compromises and my password and username um, could be used in other sites. So I need to change it. So like even my web browser is telling me to change my password. Chrome will, Chrome will give you a warning. Safari will give you a warning as well. Um, you can also go to the website, haveibeenpwned.com. Um, and then you just punch in your username or your your email address. And it will tell you if data related to you has been uh, revealed uh, in a breach and if it is available out there, uh, which should be enough of a warning. It's like someone walking up to your house and saying, hey, I have this master key that fits into your front door. You might want to change your law, right? And and if you don't, then you have to fully expect that someone's going to use that key at some point and is going to come in and rock you blind. It's the same thing in the digital space. But unfortunately, most of us, like whenever I, I share that story about the browser warning you about data out there or using Have I Been Pwned, I get crickets. People just shrug their shoulders, you know, deer in the headlights, look at me and they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, you know, you will call me when you have been breached and that needs to end. We're going to have to take a break. We've uh, got Carmi Levy with us today. We're going to be talking uh, with the folks at Turo and uh, also the Cadillac folks. And later on, a lot of companies have a lot of information about us. They're collecting that. And there's an app that can actually help remove that from these companies' databases. We're going to tell you all about that. 
and the new right to repair law in California that uh, will make it better for everyone to be able to repair their own tech or go to a third-party tech company and not void the warranties on their uh, their devices like their iPhones and uh, their smartphones. You're listening to Get Connected. Back after this. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio. We're going to talk about the gig economy. We are very familiar with uh, a lot of the apps out there and uh, extra ways to make money, whether that's Airbnb or Uber or Lyft. Well, you can also make money with your own car, renting it out. We've uh, got a great guest on the line. His name is uh, Bassem uh, El-Rahimi. He is with Turo. Thanks for joining us today, Bassem. Thanks for having me, Mike. Very excited to connect with you. I find this an interesting app. I, I know a lot of people are always looking for ways uh, to make some extra money, and that might just be in their car. Explain to the listeners how Turo works. Of course. Um, so Turo is a peer-to-peer car sharing platform. Um, and what that means is um, Canadians like you and I are, are able to uh, search the platform to look for um, you know, an incredible vehicle near them um, to really uh, fulfill um, you know, extraordinary um, experiences like we'll chat about in a few minutes. It's uh, kind of like, so if, if I have a car and I, I want to make some extra money, what steps do I have to do to, to make that all happen? Of course. So that's really kind of the peer-to-peer component of the platform. So um, I was alluded to, you know, the platform enables guests to book vehicles, but for these guests to book vehicles, they, there needs to be vehicles <laughs> on the platform to be booked. And that's really where our hosts come in. Um, um, our hosts are people that share their vehicle. And by sharing their vehicle, Turo helps Canadian uh, car owners generate uh, upwards of $700 on average of extra income a month. Um, to list your vehicle, it's super easy. Uh, whether you do it on the website, uh, Turo.com, or on our apps on iOS and Android, um, you're able to sign up, uh, give us uh, some information about your vehicle, like year, make, model, uh, um, and you'll be ready to share your vehicle within um, a couple of minutes. Do I have to worry about my car getting wrecked? Is there any insurance involved with this? Of course. Um, You know, the safety of Turo's hosts and guests is at the core of our platform um, and our offerings. Um, Insurance is available with every reservation for both Turo hosts and guests through uh, economical um, uh, economical insurance, as well as the ICBC, of course, the Insurance Corporation of British Columbia for reservations in, in BC. Um, the insurance we offer is very solid. It's uh, two million dollars in liability coverage and up to the uh, up to the value of the vehicle and in, in physical damages. Um, and of course, we screen all of our guests, as you can imagine, on things like identity, age, driving license verification, to really make sure that folks booking uh, your car are uh, deemed uh, safe and tr- safe. Sorry, and trustworthy. So it's not some uh, amon- anonymous people <laughs> renting your your car that you have no idea who they are. No, no, of course not. We want to make sure that our our hosts feel uh, comfortable and safe sharing their vehicles, and and uh, we do our part in, in verifying those guests to make sure that uh, uh, they're uh, deemed worthy of the community. You mentioned ICBC, which is the insurance company BC, but uh, is this this available in all the provinces in Canada? Um, so we are in British Columbia, Alberta, Ontario, Quebec, and all the Atlantic provinces. Um, so not quite nationwide yet, but uh, uh, making our way there. Okay, so uh, we talked about uh, how you can actually get involved with Turo to make some extra bucks. And for people that want to, um, you know, rent out a a car, uh, this is kind of like almost a car rental. Like if you go to Expedia to rent a car, but uh, you're actually renting uh, kind of the the specific model that that you want. And and there's a wide range of different vehicles on, on this platform. 
Absolutely. Um, so, you know, c- c- the beauty of car sharing and the peer-to-peer model is that our guests are really able to choose from hundreds of makes and models that are really as unique as their hosts. So it's no longer this cookie cutter, you know, category or, you know, type of vehicle that you may or may not get once you get to uh, a traditional car rental counter. Uh, you're really booking somebody's uh, unique vehicle. Um, and because of that, you could, you know, really have a selection that is uh, unmatched elsewhere. Let's talk about uh, this kind of interesting uh, promotion you have going on uh, right now. This kind of caught my uh, eye. You're partnering up with uh, the Jonas Brothers, the uh, the popular uh, the singers. <laughs> like, what, why are they involved with uh, Turo? Absolutely. Um, it's really an incredible opportunity for uh, Turo to really showcase our unparalleled selection and the ability to uh, provide our guests with extraordinary um, experiences. So um, we teamed up with the Jonas Brothers to celebrate their new album and their North American leg uh, of their tour. So we have both, of course, uh, sorry, not both, all all three, sorry, Kevin, Joe, and Nick Jonas, all listing vehicles in Vancouver and in Montreal to really give their Canadian fans a VIP experience. Um, so fans in Canada who book this experience uh, will get uh, for around $300 in that package. What you get is access to the brothers uh, because you'll do a key exchange with them because they're going to be listing the vehicles as hosts on the platform. Um, so really excited about that opportunity. Uh, two VIP tickets to the concert, of course, uh, a ton of merch um, and really hopefully an experience of a lifetime. So sorry, I get to meet a Jonas Brothers or is this kind of a, a contest or a draw? that no this is correct if you book uh, one of the vehicles you'll be able to book the specific brother who hosted who hosted that vehicle so there's an opportunity to meet kevin joe and nick uh in vancouver i imagine those would go pretty quickly though absolutely so guests will be able to request their vehicles starting october 12th uh, at 10 a.m. Uh, uh, Vancouver time, at uh, Pacific time. Um, and uh, as you may know, the actual show uh, is not until November 11th. So I would encourage bo- folks to set timers, events in their calendars, whatever they may need to do to make sure that they're on Turo.com on October 12th at 10 a.m. We're talking about Turo, the uh, the app that lets you uh, not only uh, request a car to, uh, I guess, rent out the car of your dreams, or if maybe you want to try an electric vehicle, uh, this is a great opportunity to, to do that. And also uh, a way to make some extra money if you've got a vehicle that's uh, not being driven a lot and want to uh, make some extra bucks. This is a great way to sign up and uh, basically do that. Uh, the app is available on all platforms, correct? That's correct. We're both on web, uh, Android and iOS. That was Bassem El Rahimi. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much, Mike. When we come back from the break, more tech to talk. Stay tuned. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio. Let's talk electric vehicles. Uh, if you didn't already know, the Canadian federal government is uh, proposing 20% of all new automobiles sold in Canada should be clean vehicles by the 2026 model year. It's a big ask. Uh, there are a number of uh, car companies out there that are... Uh, punching out uh, electric vehicles. We're going to talk with the uh, the folks over at uh, Cadillac. We've got a, a really cool guest on. Her name is Mandy Damon. She is uh, the chief engineer behind the Cadillac uh, Escalade IQ electric vehicle. Thanks for joining us, Mandy. Yeah, thank you for having me. I think a lot of people are familiar with uh, Cadillac uh, Escalades, uh, but you're coming out with an electric version. What? When can we expect to see that? Yeah, so we'll be producing this vehicle next summer so you can expect to see it summer 2024 um it's a 2025 model year and as you stated our very first electric escalate i read some uh, interesting stats about it this one kind of jumped out at me i I drive a a tesla model 3 and i get about 350 kilometers range 
from what I'm reading here, you can get an estimated 724 kilometers of range. That's right. Yeah. And, and that's a big number and one that we're really proud of. And it's been important to us as we developed the Escalade IQ to really sweat every single detail as it relates to that range number, even, you know, from an aerodynamics perspective, as well as just overall efficiency of the vehicle. We want to make sure that this is um, an electric vehicle that our customers can see fitting into their lifestyle. And I think with a number of 724 kilometers, you can imagine what that would be like and how little of an impact um, charging it will have on your life. That, that, I mean, that is huge. I do a lot of driving with mine in the city here, but I do like to take the occasional trip. I, I live in Vancouver, so, you know, I go up to uh, the, the Okanagan and Whistler, but, you know, I have to charge multiple times along the way. Whereas, you know, if I had over 700 kilometers of range, I could make that, uh, that trip in one shot. What are some of the cool things that we're going to see in the new uh, Escalade uh, IQ? One of the things that you'll notice first is the progressive styling in a very sleek roof line that's different from the Escalades that we've produced um, to date. Another thing that'll that'll catch your eye that we're really excited about is the 55-inch pillar-to-pillar screen. A lot of technology in this vehicle, even, you know, four-wheel steer. That's a big deal from a turn diameter perspective. The Escalade is a large SUV, but it doesn't feel that way when you drive it. When you add in four-wheel steer, even, you know, we can talk a little bit more about the horsepower and torque. Um, this vehicle makes an impression. It's got a presence about it, but it's really, really fun to drive. Explain to listeners what four-wheel steer steering means. Four-wheel steer gives you the same functionality that you have on the front axle with being able to turn the front wheels to maneuver the vehicle in the rear. So this is a big deal from a turn diameter perspective and making the vehicle more maneuverable when pulling in and out of parking spots, as well as, you know, at speed, we can use four-wheel steer to improve the stability and the handling of the truck and even the aerodynamics too, with just little adjustments as the vehicle is cruising down the road. You talked about that 55-inch LED display. So basically, is that the entire kind of dashboard in front of me because on my on my Tesla it looks like I have a giant iPad just kind of <laughs> sitting off to the side here but you know 55 inches I mean that would take up the entire front there yes it does it extends from you know what we would call a pillar to a pillar so the whole width of the vehicle really well integrated into the instrument panel and and we kind of divide it into three sections um it's one big display but in front of you, you have the normal cluster and the gauges that you're used to, vehicle speed, EV range, you name it. And the centers where you can get to the different apps and infotainment options. And then another really cool feature is um, in the front, in front of the front passenger, we have an infotainment screen that they can engage with and watch when the vehicle is in motion. But it's polarized so that it's not a distraction to the driver. So we have, you know, different streaming apps, as well as a browser and HDMI capability for that front passenger infotainment screen. I think there's going to be a lot of fights on who's driving and who's a passenger now. Like, I want to be the passenger so I can watch watch my Netflix shows. Exactly. So uh, there's another interesting thing um, that I've been reading about uh, kind of your overall user interface. You're going to have Google built in uh, to the to the system. Does that mean uh, Android Auto and CarPlay aren't going to be uh, features for this? That's correct. And this is really, you know, as we've 
continue to learn from our customers and build more technology in the vehicle, especially with Altify um, as our software platform on our EVs, this will help the engagement in the overall like vehicle learning and what information can be presented to our customers just based on driving habits, where they charge, what apps they use. And I'd say, you know, I, I get asked this a lot. And for me, as I've been driving the vehicle, it's really no different than any new app or piece of technology where, yes, for years I've been driving vehicles um, that have Apple CarPlay and it's pretty seamless. But now that I've gotten used to this, there's even more capability here with what's built into the vehicle. And it's just a little bit of a learning curve. And, and now something that I feel like, how you know, how did I live without this? Uh, let's talk about uh, bi-directional charging. Is this a feature that will be available for the, the Cadillac? Yes, it is. So the Escalade IQ is fully equipped for um, vehicle-to-home bi-directional charging. This is a big deal because it offers customers an, really a generator or another way to power their home or devices if their home is equipped for it. Um, just with a, you know a little bit of technology from our GM Energy platform, in the event of a power outage, you can quickly get hooked up and power your home. And we've seen this work on the Silverado EV for up to 21 days that you can keep the lights on at home. So... Uh, if you're like like me and somebody that loses power every time we have high winds or any type of storm, I think, you know, what a great perk to have your vehicle be able to charge. That would be uh, amazing. Uh, I, you know, fortunately live in an area where I don't get too many power outages, but when it happens, uh, you know, you're you're stuck for, uh, you know, hours. So it would be nice to have, uh, yeah. you know, the electric uh, car or truck that you have actually power the home. I mean, essentially, they're just giant batteries, aren't they? Exactly, especially with, you know, the size of battery that we have and the range that we offer. That's a lot of power that you can transfer to your home. So, you know, when when I think of the Cadillac Escalade line and, you know, of course, this new uh, IQ electric uh, version as well, uh, will we see these technologies built in here? Because these are kind of like at the forefront of technology. Are you going to start building that throughout uh, your different uh, lines? We will, and we'll start to see that um evolution happen. I think one of the things I'm I'm most proud of of the Escalade IQ is that it's really uncompromised. And that was a goal that we set going in of the Escalade nameplate carries a lot of brand equity. Our customers are very discerning. They have, you know, high expectations. We need to meet them um, and really exceed their expectations. And so this vehicle, as I talk about things like, you know, every vehicle gets the 55 inch pillar to pillar screen. Every vehicle has a glass roof, four-wheel steer standard, MagnaRide technology, air suspension. We're going all in on this vehicle. And then, as you stated, yes, some of that technology will trickle down and we can, you know, achieve greater scale there by offering another Cadillac platforms. We've been uh, talking with Mandy Damon. She's the chief engineer over uh, behind the Cadillac Escalate IQ EV Coming out uh, next year, the 2020, 2025 uh, model. And uh, sorry, is that again late fall? We'll be producing them summer 2024. So yeah, you can see one in your driveway next fall. Thanks again for joining us, Mandy. All right. Thank you. When we come back from the break, more tech to talk. Stay tuned. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here. I've got Carmi Levy with me today. A lot of the places that you visit on the web, corporations, 
government entities uh, are gathering all sorts of private information on you. Uh, they use that data for advertising and uh, you know, hopefully to sell you more stuff. Wouldn't you like it removed sometimes? Well, there's an app that might just help with that. Carmi, it's called Permission Slip. Give the, the listeners a, a rundown on this because it sounds very interesting. One of the most interesting apps I've seen in a while it comes to us from Consumer Reports. They have a unit called Innovation Lab. And what they do is they introduce new apps and services and, and, and sort of solutions to you know, do innovation, innovative things. Uh, and uh, in response to the California Consumer Privacy Act or the CCPA, that took effect about three years ago. Um, basically, what it does is it holds uh, organizations accountable for making sure that they play right by the data that they collect from us. Uh, and so the app is called Permission Slip. And basically, it, it, it's sort of like a middleman. It helps you manage who has your personal information and what they do with it. And so you download it. It's, it's an Android or an iOS device. And then you can then type, it's got a whole bunch of partner companies that are working with Consumer Reports. So McDonald's, Ticketmaster, Amazon, Netflix, Home Depot, Lowe's. Uh, and so you click on the company once you get into the app and it'll tell you what kind of information they're collecting. What do they know about you? Uh, and then from that point, you have a choice. You can either ask them to delete the data or maybe they can keep the data, but you can have them opt out of sharing it with anyone else so that they can't for example, sell it to a marketing company or share it for whatever purposes. Um, and then uh, you can also have them request additional details about your private information from the parties, the data brokers that they work with. So it turns personal data from something that's been very opaque. We haven't been able to see. We don't know who knows what, who knows what about us. It makes it visible and it gives you a one-stop shop to control where that data goes, who uses it, how they use it. Uh, and it allows you to reduce your data footprint a little bit if you want as well. It's a great start. We've never seen anything like it up until now. You sort of had to reach out directly to them and good luck with that. Who has the time to do it? This is a, this sort of puts it all in one easily consumable place. The problem is uh, at this point, it's just a few companies. So every company has to be on board and not just the few really big legit ones, but every organization, there has to be legislation that forces companies to do this. And for now, it's U.S. only, but they are piloting it in the U.S. And once they sort of figured out the ins and outs of how this works among a larger population, it will go global. So at some point, it will come to Canada, I've downloaded it and used it over a VPN. Um, and it does work exceptionally well um, for what it is. But keep in mind, this isn't going to solve the fact that we have tons of data out there. This isn't going to suddenly allow us to have a zero data footprint but it's going to allow us to start the process of getting a little bit more control over it, which I think is a reasonable place to start. This needs to come to Canada fast. I, <laughs> I would totally use this. I, I can't even imagine how much of my information is out there. Um, you know, I, every once in a while, I will play with Google uh, and do vanity searches on my name just to sort of see uh, who, where it is and where it's gone. And every time I do so, I'm horrified, right? Because it's out there. I, granted, I realize we work in media, so by necessity, by design, a lot of our information is out there. You know, our job is is having people see us. But, um, you know, it's the private data that really scares me. And it is everywhere. And if you want to live a digital life, part of that is, you know, the cost of living a digital life is sharing information. It isn't necessarily that we want to, but, um, you know, in many cases, we tend to lose control over it once that data is there. And it is, it's the kind of thing that keeps me up at night. Apps like Permission Slip do a lot toward giving us a little bit more control that we've lost in recent years. Another story that I'm following uh, is 
coming out of California. And uh, Gavin Newsom, the governor down there, has uh, recently signed the Right to Repair Act. And there's a, a number of states that are going through this uh, as well. But it's a big deal because in the past, or even now in, in many jurisdictions, if you want to try to repair one of your devices, maybe it's an iPhone, maybe you got a Samsung tablet, if you try to repair it yourself or go to a third-party company to do it, in most cases, it voids the warranty. And so a lot of uh, government uh, you know, entities are, are trying to, to do away with that because it's, you know, I think for a lot of consumers, uh, they, they'd like to have some choice. So with this new Right to Repair Act in California, if the device is worth over $300, the manufacturer has to service that for the next seven years. Software updates, there has to be parts available and documentation as well. So it was interesting when I saw the, the story about the new Google Pixel 8, Carmi, that they said they're going to provide software uh, updates for eight years. But they were, they were pretty well going to be forced to do that anyway. <laughs> Yeah, and they're they're trying to spin this as them being really nice guys about it, you know that it's uh, you know they're they're uh, they're they're doing it out of the goodness of their own heart. But the reality is, the legislative environment because of California's right to repair law, and California is a very progressive state when it comes to laws like this. It starts in California, and then it'll eventually spread everywhere else. Um, but you know, yeah, they they see the winds changing, and they realize that they won't be able to sell devices in California unless they. Uh, change their uh, their availability of resource repair, so things like manuals and parts and and uh, websites, and um, you know, allowing third party providers, third party repair shops, to have the same access to these tools uh, that they themselves have. Because as you know, you know, decades ago when an appliance broke, there were all manners of local repair shops where you could go and decide if it was worth it. That's no longer the case. That entire industry has almost disappeared and. Laws like the one in, in California now can potentially bring that back and give us options that are a lot better than just tossing it into the landfill uh, and then buying a new one, a, new, a replacement one, which is a lot more uh, eco-friendly. We are putting billions of devices every year into landfill, and it's noxious and it's horrible for the planet. Better legislation like this will help. Certainly buying a Google phone that has seven promised years of support for both hardware and software will make a huge difference toward us, not just getting a phone every couple of years and then, t- then ditching it, but really looking more and more to the long term uh, and managing it over time. And I think the industry is finally being forced to become more responsible, and it's going to save you and me a heck of a lot of money in the process. I wonder if the big guys are thinking that this isn't necessarily a good thing for business. I, you know, I look at uh, smartphone shipments or sales over the past uh, year here. And they're the worst they've ever been in 10 years, except Google for some some odd, odd reason. Like sales are going down. I think people are, you know, looking at the economy and, and just looking at their devices overall and thinking, I can get more life out of this. Like, you know, the, the, the updates or the upgrades, you know, that they've been doing to the new devices, are they worth it anymore? Is there a big enough reason to do that? And now, you know, if it, the device is supported for seven years, that would give, you know, less incentive to upgrade in a more timely fashion, I guess. I think it's the best possible base. Uh, and and if if smartphone makers aren't happy that they can't sell us a new smartphone every year or two, well, boohoo to them. Uh, find some other way to make money. Find some other way to add value. Apple, for example, has built a services business on top of its phone. So even if you have an old iPhone, they're still generating generating revenue from your fitness subscription, from your music subscription. There are services on it that add value. So the industry 
Uh, you know, now that we are in the late smartphone era, smartphones are no longer the 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 the, the cool new thing. It's a maturing market. Those growth curves are flattening. Well, then it's up to the industry to figure out what comes next. And 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 as smartphone shipments continue to flatline, they're going to have to find new ways to make money. That's not my problem. That's not our problem. It's their problem. Uh, and that's just the way things work when markets mature. Find some other way. I'm going to just talk about one more uh, story here before we run out of time. This was kind of caught my eye, Carmi. Remember the Atari 2600? Did you have one? I had one. I, I date myself by saying I had one, but uh, admittedly, that was the device that lit my fire for technology. It was the first computer-like device uh, that we ever had in the house, and it opened my eyes to what was possible. It led directly to my next computer purchase. It led directly to me pursuing this career path. So, uh, you know, if if I can think of one thing that changed my life as a you know a seven-year-old kid, it was the Atari Twenty-Six Hundred. And so, thank you, Nolan Bushnell. Okay, so this thing, um, the Atari 2600, I had one. Uh, They're actually coming out with, they're releasing a new cartridge for their 46-year-old console, a new game. It was something that was actually made back in the day. It's called Save Mary, uh, but it was shelved, and now they're they're bringing it back. I wonder how many, (laughs) like where where people are going to play this? Like how many people have Atari 26 consoles anymore? Um, you know, if if you search really hard on eBay, you can probably find an old one and then figure out a way to get it to work with your current television because, of course, the standards have all changed. Or you can you can buy one. They sell it. It's called the, uh, the 2600 Plus, which is kind of like an updated Atari 2600 console that works with all of today's technology as well as allows you to take all those old dusty cartridges and stick them in and play the games that you loved as a kid. So. There is a huge amount of nostalgia for retro gaming. You know, when games were a lot simpler, when, uh, you know, they weren't franchises, didn't take years to develop. In many cases, these were developed in just a couple of months. Uh, and, uh, and you know, this game was, this particular one, Save Mary, was developed in uh, 1982. And then it sat because the market cratered for Atari after that. And so it's been sitting for 40 plus years. And now it's being re-released along with other lost games like Aquaventure. Uh, they've actually created new games, uh, one called Jump, another one called Mr. Run, uh, and and they'll sell them for 60 bucks with a manual out of box. And uh, in some cases, like, for example, uh, Save Mary, they're only making 500 of them. So it's limited edition, collector's edition. Uh, so if you want to speculate on uh, tech nostalgia from our childhood, this is a really great place to start. And I'm thinking I may want one. That's all the time we have left for Get Connected. Don't forget to visit our website, getconnectedmedia.com. I want to thank Carmi Levy for joining us once again. This is Mike Agarbo and Carmi signing off. We'll see you again next time.